Jason Taylor, man. What's going on? What's going on, Joe? How are you doing? Good, good. I think the only time I see you is uh, either on LinkedIn when you're on our show, leaving lots of comments, but you show up as a LinkedIn user on StreamYard. <laughs> so it's always always a running joke with us. But uh, uh, you're also uh, really good friends uh, with uh, two of two of my best friends, uh, Chris Tab and Matt Housley. So uh, a friend of them is a friend of mine. So we're all friends, uh, especially at the pub. <laughs> yeah. Which pub do you guys go to? Um, Chris has a particular, actually, hotel bar that he really oh. likes. Um, yeah, I think it's from, you know, obviously him traveling back and forth uh, across the pond. Um, so uh, they're very nice to us there, and it's relatively quiet, and we can talk about things or work, for that matter. Oh. Um, so that's, that's kind of nice. Uh, otherwise, I don't know I drag him downtown. We've been going to Blind Tiger occasionally. Downtown in where you guys live in Jersey or in, in, in um, Manhattan? I'm in Manhattan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so downtown. So Blind Tiger is like a craft beer bar. I don't know. I mean, Got it. Craft beer. Oh. Hmm. I like craft yeah. beer. So uh, New York's got, yeah, it's a, it's a fun place. And uh, I think, uh, what is it? There's also the Loki happy hour. It's, it's, uh, it's always a lot of fun. I, I think coming up on the, this is a one year anniversary, actually. I think that uh, today, I believe. Today is the one year anniversary. Oh, now, now I feel worse since I can't go. <laughs> well, it is Next what it is. Yeah, I mean, you've been to enough of them. I mean, they're they're a good event. I think I went to the second one um, in September, and that was a lot of fun. So, but it was back yeah. when it was just like flanneries for the audience to see at the bar where uh, Ethan Aaron hosts a uh, low key happy hours, and uh, it's definitely it, it's uh, it's a bit of a dive. I'll, I'll call it that. It's it's kind of a towny bar. It uh, is a dive. Yeah, it's not a dive. It's a dive. It's a dive. <laughs> it, it, I mean, we'll be fair. It's it's a dive, but it's a but it, it, it's it's very fitting. So. Um, it's a good place and it's 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 very like unassuming i think my favorite part is i'm most people consider me relatively extroverted mm. and also consider myself extroverted but like i'm i'm not somewhat comically shy uh, especially in some of those situations so like i actually really like the low-key happy hour because people just kind of come up and talk and they're like hey what do you do and i'm like this is great i don't have to do anything i can just kind of stand here and order beers and and people will come up and we can oh that's cool chat. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Do no work. It's, uh, yeah, I felt I felt the crowd was really, really awesome, really receptive, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, super fun. I think back then it was um, it was really small. So uh, I think who was it? Ethan, Lauren, Scott, right, another, and a few other people. We closed on the bar that night, but uh, no, it's it fun. Was- but it's good to see it evolving. What's also cool is seeing that the low key idea is like taken off around the world. So I mean, I've been to several low-key happy hours around the planet and it's um it's cool but I, I what i like about it is the um there's no vendors right uh so there, there are vendors they are just they're like incognito and not actually trying to sell you things yeah yeah but i mean, I mean it's not like a i guess you know I, it, it, <laughs> some of these events you feel like you're going to a timeshare meeting right like you have to <laughs> suffer through the uh presentation and all that bullshit so here's for an hour and i will give you an hour free in your favorite destination yeah, yeah, it's you know coming out of COVID, I just don't think that's what people want. You know, I mean, we're we're out of it, clearly out of it now, but it's like still, I think people really just appreciate genuine, like you know, human to human connections, and you know, you appreciate people just coming up to you and introducing themselves, so it's, it works out really well. I used to also go to like my my we talked about this more, but like yeah, uh, my background was quant finance, and I used to go to a lot of the quant conferences because I wanted to like kind of like data conferences. I wanted to like go and hear these methodologies and what people are working on and that kind of stuff. And there's so many that it was just like, you walk in and it's like, here's my tool. Here's what my tool does. Look at this chart yeah. that goes off to the right and amazing. And you should buy it. Sorry. There's like a weird uh, noise coming from your computer. I'm not sure what that is. It feels like it sounds like a, uh, like a cat in a box or something. Yes. I actually secretly have a cat over here in a box. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, we can. Uh, but um, yeah, so you're, you're talking about another place then? Uh, no, I was just, uh, I was at, um, I used to go to a bunch of these conferences. And yeah. They used to just have, uh, you know, just people pitching their products the whole time. And it was just terrible. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I'm genuinely curious if there is an audience of people out there. Like, I guess people go to some of those just a network, but like, do people really get anything out of just sitting through like 
product pitch after product pitch for, you know, half a day. I'm sure there's some people like that, right? I mean, there's everyone's got a weird fetish for something in this world. So I'm sure there's people that just love being uh, pitched to uh, relentlessly for hours on end. And probably those same people, they like walking around the conferences and getting all the swag. And, uh, wow. you know, I think there's a, there was an office episode actually where Michael Scott goes to a conference and he uh, gets all the swag. Yeah. yeah. This whole apartment is uh, full of swag. So, I mean, there's probably people like that, right? I, like I said, it's, it's every. It, the only thing I've realized is that there's for everything you think that's weird, uh, you know, there's, there's somebody out there who's probably way into it. So that is a very valid point. Um, yeah. Very valid point. Yeah. Community. It is like, I, you know, so I ran meetups for a long time uh, and there were some people and I would go to other meetups, right? And there's there some people there who were like at every single meetup, every meetup I'd ever go to. And I used to go to a lot, but there were, there's this one guy in particular who, He's a good friend of mine, but I was like, I think he goes to meetups just so he can get dinner. Like he eats pizza every night. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess that works. Uh, is he at least contributing to the meetup? Or, or yeah, is he he's just an awesome guy. Yeah, he's good. Good things to say. But I was like, you go to a lot of meetups for sure. Um, like, I think your entire life is spent at meetups. So, yeah, who knows? There's probably people that love love to go to the uh, vendor pitches and. I'd be curious if there's people that only want to go to vendor pitches and like, uh, like that's the only thing they want. They don't want to engage in anything else. Just got much for it. I guess if you're an industry analyst, right, that might be one thing where you you yeah, want to go hear the pitches. So. Yeah, yeah, I could see. I, there's there's probably angles there that that we're missing. Uh, yeah, the people that just frankly make money from conferences. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. I actually so. I was relatively inactive on both LinkedIn since I, you see me on LinkedIn a decent amount now. I would uh, be surprised you were in, inactive on that for a while. Yeah. For, okay. So it was a very long time where, I mean, frankly, is like early, you know, before COVID and even before that, right? Like where it just, I don't know, I'm not a big social media person. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I rather, I like tried to meet people out in the world and, you know, at, you know, at a bar and things like that. And then, you know, between COVID and, you know, I could talk a little bit about like my career path is, yeah, we is totally different. Um, but like, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't really start meeting and talking to people in our space uh, up until like the past couple of years. Hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it's actually really nice. I love talking shop. I could talk shop for, we could do a podcast for the rest of the day for all I care. Like I, I could talk shop for a <laughs> long time. Um, I mean, especially I, I might have to go to the bar and then take you with me, but like, uh, yeah, I could talk shop for a long time and yeah, it's, it's actually really nice to kind of em embrace the community and talk about ideas and mm -hmm. kind of, you know, what was that, that switch for you though? Right. Cause you weren't on uh, social media very much. Now you're, you're very active on LinkedIn. I, you know, to, to be fair, I was the same way. I think, COVID. Um, I, I just didn't really care about LinkedIn before. I was like, it's, you know, but I think what, what changed with it is it became more like, Facebook in a weird way, but all the good parts of Facebook or most of the good ones and not the, you know, your, your um, you know, crazy uncle ranting about uh, MAGA and stuff on there. Um, you still get a few of those types of people too, but they're easy to ignore. So yes, yes. And, and LinkedIn gives you wonderful buttons to block and remove and unhide. I, I know you and I have shared that, that common, like a, if you lob me a, a kind of a cold call over LinkedIn. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, no. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so for the audience out there, if you're listening, there's, there's a, there's a certain workflow that maybe Jason and I have where, uh, if your first message out of the, out of the gate is a sales pitch, right? So I don't know about you, Jason, but for me, I will, uh, um, the connection gets removed because you can't message me unless we're connections. And then the other thing is that your, your message gets moved to other, which I don't know if you've ever seen the other thing, but it's like purgatory for messages. Like yes. it's, it's pretty bad and it, it's kind of unfortunate because sometimes the other to, to your point like if i if i didn't know you and i wanted to get in contact with you somehow i'd have to use linkedin mail or whatever that is and some of that's paid and you know and i'd have to lob you this message that goes into your effective spam right mm -hmm. which you never read and it's just it's like impossible so it, it's kind of unfortunate like the people that are uh, i'm sure this works for some people but uh, I think that the people that are arguably using LinkedIn as a sales platform, like are kind of ruining it for the rest of us a little bit, mm -hmm. which, you know, because the, there's a large majority of us who just don't want to deal with it. I mean, low key happy hour is, is a living, breathing uh, version of that essentially, which is don't, don't come sell to me. Like I'll, I'll happily talk about what you're living and breathing, but uh, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it is very gratuitous though. I think, uh, you know, especially when the messages aren't targeted towards your particular vertical at all. It's like, Hey, have, have you thought about becoming a real estate agent, Jason? It's <laughs> like probably when I was like 20. Um, but certainly not today and certainly not from you. Uh, now it's interesting. And, uh, you know, I mean, and I feel kind of bad in some ways cause I, you know, it's just these people's job, but you know, totally. I mean, you and I have things to do too. And we got our own jobs. And as I tell people like your problem ain't my problem, don't make your problem my problem. So, you know, um, you know, if you can't sell stuff, then maybe figure out a different approach. It's kind of why you're paid the big bucks. If you can make a quota, right. Ideally. So, you know, it's not, not it's just life in the big city. It's just figure yeah. out a different way to do it. So I also think that like, especially from at least my perspective on selling is I, 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 frankly, I, I think I'm kind of more interested in the connection and the relationship, yeah. right? So if I was trying to sell you, theoretically, right? Like, I could message you, we could talk, I'd learn more about you. If there's a fit, maybe I'll start plugging my product. And if there isn't, then I won't. And yeah. that's, we, we came away with that relationship. And mm -hmm. can... That's tasteful, right? Because it's, at least you're kind of getting another person's uh, problems and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like that, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, you and I run companies and we have to sell. I mean, that's sort of the name of the game, but the approach I've always taken is just, you know, build a relationship over time, build the trust. And if there's a fit, you know, and the other thing is with, with sales, it's like, you know, it, it's a matter of that timing intersecting with the need. Yeah. Totally. It may not be today may not be the right day. Uh, next year may be the time when it makes sense, but if you have that good relationship and things, uh, you know, sort of the, 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 you know, the sine waves intersect at some point, but you really can't force a good deal. I don't think. Um, it's really hard to, so. yeah, it's, it's very difficult. And then, you know, and then you cause strain on your relationship and strain on the deal. And, you know, it, it's just, there's a whole bunch of negative, uh, things that come out of that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's interesting though. I mean, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I know you through a social and I guess maybe we'll just keep talking about that part when you talk shop, whatever, but, um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you, what do you, what are you getting out of social media these days? You know, you'd be back on LinkedIn and, um. I'm just curious. I mean, I spend a lot of time there these days, obviously, and I'm always curious what people try and get out of it. You know, it's, uh... yeah, I think that um, there's a couple things. Uh, one, it's uh, kind of my discoverability discovery zone, right? Like I, I'm I'm perusing LinkedIn for <clears throat> new products, new ideas, new people. You know, like that that kind of area. Like, um, I think that's the majority of what I'm there for uh other than that like some of it's news you know some of it's like this company bought this company and so on and so forth um but a, a lot of it's just yeah i'm looking for new ideas new mm. thoughts uh you know that kind of stuff so like i i think i mean like i i obviously listen to watch your shows so like i think those are good i watch you know the data engineering podcasts and mm. things like that so like i i try to listen to some of those and and i Again, I didn't, I didn't always do that, uh, but I find that most of the time I spend on LinkedIn, it's just like, who's this new company? What are they about? Uh, who works there? Um, you know, kind of what what's their perspective on on you know this new thing in in the world, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it's just I don't know. It feels like your finger on the pulse a little bit. Uh, yeah. Right. It gets you out of your comfort zone for sure. And I think. It's a double-edged sword, right? Social media is one of these things where it, it uh, I think it's sort of a self-fulfilling filter bubble in some ways if you're uh, not trying to get outside of it intentionally. Yeah. Right? So you get, because I mean, the, the algorithm will simply just keep recommending people and content that you engage with. That's every social media platform. And, you know, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I always listen to different podcasts too to sort of get different ideas on, on things and Sometimes like a lot of software engineering podcasts I listen to as well, just because I feel like that's more of the barometer of kind of, again, I always talk about software seems like it's farther ahead than data. And I always feel like if you can understand what's going on there, then you kind of have a good idea of where data might be going. But yeah. well, there's a, there's an interesting thing I think related to that, which is just, and I I've seen it time and again, that, um, so I, I, I come from financial services. We can talk more about that. Yeah. But, uh, the, vast majority of the time I see people hiring data engineers or, or people related to that, they typically want software engineers mm. that have some exposure to data, 
right? It's like, oh, I want, you know, you have to have a CS background and, you know, spent this much time developing applications, but, um, you know, we want you to understand financial data. And it's like, okay, well, those, those are interesting combinations of skills and or attributes or experiences that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious why you want that person versus advertising for a data engineer, mm. even if data engineer title of a role, like, like, so that's why I feel, I feel it's really interesting, um, especially as our space evolves, right? And, and you were talking about how software is kind of ahead. So, you know, we're adapting all these things into our space. Um, there, there's a separate point here, which is like, our space is actually really, really big. And I'm always interested or curious about the divides within our space, right? Like, cause there's, there's a veritable divide I, I see. And I mean, you're around more than I am. I'm curious if you see this between there's like the whole data engineering, data architecture world. And then there's like data governance and stewardship and like, mm. you know, and that stuff. I feel like those are separate worlds. Do you, do you see that or? I think to some degree, yeah. Um, actually, I'm taking a note on that real quick. It's pretty cool. Um, it is. I think that there's, um, how do I articulate this? There are definitely divides, and they feel like kind of generational divides in some ways too. Um, totally. You know, like I, I because of the the podcasts I do, I you know I, I do have relationships with. I would say a lot of people, you know, in different spheres of data, you know, data scientists, um, analysts, data governance, data management people. And, you know, I was recently on a Malcolm Hawker's podcast and he's, you know, it's all about you know, governance management, that kind of, that, that's, I consider more in that area. And, but, I, you know, I, I kind of, if you kind of zoom out, I feel that like these are all sort of, um, they're all interconnected, obviously. Right. And I think we're all trying to get towards the same goal, which is quote, uh, getting more value from your data, which is just a, a phrase and beat to death. I was saying earlier this, we go keep hearing that I'm probably gonna go jump off a bridge or something. It's just, <laughs> it drives me insane. Um, well, I love Scott's data is a new bullshit. I, I was listening to that and I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's good. And he, you know, I, I put in more kind of in the, uh, um, you know, data management space, right. Cause he's an MDM, uh, keynote speaker and selling data, um, you know, literally data for a long time, actually, right? He came from Nielsen and uh, a few other companies like that. So, but, it, you know, it, it's, at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, totally. But there are we definitely, all. definitely factions for sure. It's kind of like, I guess, you know, if you, if you, if you kind of equate music to something, you know, as a genre that, that people will like and listen to it and it makes them happy or angry or whatever, um, you know, but there's different genres of music. Yeah. Country, got you know, metal, hip hop and whatever. I feel like that's kind of what these divides are maybe where they're just, they, they serve different functions. They have different groups that and tribes that like them. But at the end of the day, you know, music is there to entertain and I think data is there to, you know, provide some semblance of moving the needle forward for businesses, um, ideally, and we're, you know, we're moving the needle forward for society, maybe kind of zoom out on that. So very altruistic. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, because you might be doing data for like a nonprofit, you know, or, or like, like or like climate change or something like that, where that, that I don't know if that's really industry specific, but um but yeah, that's a but it, it is interesting. I think you bring up a very uh fascinating observation. Um so I don't know what do you what are your thoughts on this? I, I think that um I mean we started talking about this a little bit. Like data engineering evolved from software engineering, right? Like for, mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Uh, I think that if we kind of follow back to that point, there was a group of people before data engineering, when it was only software engineers that said, hey, there's some, some data stuff going on here and we need to figure out policies and all that stuff around it. And I, I, I feel like, you know, I'm relatively young. I won't date myself on the show, but uh, I feel like there's people, Scott and whatnot, that have that were around in, in those times, and Bill Inman and all these other people that are. I mean, Bill's probably more technical than that group, but there's a whole he group is. of people that that got to this point where they were um, more focused on the governance, more focused on policy, and and that that sort of thing. And I think that that group has continued to sustain itself and and go on through time and the software engineer turned into data engineer and continued to evolve forward so now we have this one faction that's been here for forever to some degree and then we have the other faction that's evolved and kind of is slowly moving i don't know in a parallel related direction uh, I, I don't that's that's just kind of me reflecting on where it came from i, I think that 
I mean, uh, you'd made this point somewhere else, uh, and I, I frankly agree with it. There's a bit here which is like data engineers should learn data modeling, right? And and data governance people should learn data engineering. And I, I don't mean that from the learn to code so much as I mean like learn the building blocks and the, yeah. the, the learn the undercurrents and the things like that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like a pause of the book. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I've been ranting on this a bit. I, I kind of take the, um, not kind of, I'm, I'm taking the, the approach that, you know, we, we need to be a lot more holistic in our thought process and how we view things, right? I think it's it's funny because we talk about how, you know, the business operates in silos. And I think you bring up a really good point where we also, as an industry, operate in our silos. And you, think you need to step out and get the perspectives Um you know, I think that'll make you a better data practitioner in general, right? If you only look at things through the data governance lens, for example, you ignore all the other aspects of things, um, you know, all the other practices people are doing. I mean, do you truly think you're going to be that effective? Because I, I can tell you the batting average for data governance initiatives, for example, is pretty abysmal. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, but if you think you can keep doing the same stuff, uh, you know, and expecting different results, I mean... Isn't that there, the definition of insanity? Yeah, I was going to say, there's famous quotes about that, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but that's, that's the industry, though, too. It, it, that, I, I see that overwhelmingly, where it's like, oh, we got to look at it through the, uh, the data governance lens, and that's, that's what matters at the end of the day. You know? But uh, you know, I, again, I'm trying to look at it more through, like, uh, you know, I equate it to mixed martial arts. Like, know all the techniques, know all the, the disciplines, you know, and know when to use them and what the trade-offs are when you want to use them and when you don't want to use them. Like, I don't see anything wrong with that, you know? No, so. no. Yeah, more awareness, more, more, uh, uh, I don't know, just knowledge of what's out there. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah. I'll tie this back to to a little bit of where I came from, because I think there's an yeah. interesting point of what I've experienced. So my career actually started uh, at a financial data company called Factset, um, which is typically people associate them with Bloomberg and S&P and uh what used to be Thomson Reuters now is Refinitiv. Uh, so there's these these big companies that also data to financial companies and platforms as well. And then there's a zillion, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll shout out to Dan Entrup, who has a, a map of all these companies now, because um, mapping is the new uh, new podcast. Um, oh, so uh, he has a market map of all the the data providers out there. And and so I started my career there, uh, actually owning a content set or a couple content sets. So we can hmm. go back. To this. What's and a then, content set? Yeah. Just so very briefly. Yeah. Uh, when I say content set, I, I'm really talking about like a data set. So like, I'll give you a direct example. So I owned uh, credit ratings uh, okay. data when I was at FactSet. So what that means is that there were several providers of credit ratings um, and they provided data feeds. And Got it her. was my job to help spec out uh, in some cases, what the new feeds were, so that an engineer could build it out for me, when how those uh, how those data sets would then feed into the platform, and what kind of uh, call it, you know, rudimentary semantic layer I needed to like kind of feed it uh, different places. So, um, so I, I I goofingly refer to that as like I was kind of a data product manager at that time because that's really what that is. Yeah. Um, and then let's see. From there, I went client facing. Uh, and did kind of like quant and data feed, uh, kind of like sales and solutions and all that kind of stuff. Jumped to the buy side after that, uh, which means I was at a, a fund as a quant. Quant is very, uh, I, I laugh because quant to me feels like data scientists from a role perspective. Where oh, it just, totally. It means yeah. stuff, stuff and things with computers and numbers, right? And it's just like, um, so there's that. And then, uh, at some point around there, uh, I actually took a veritable turn because I always wanted to be a quant. Being a quant's actually really hard. Like I don't have a PhD, right? Just just openly. Yeah. Like, I have a CFA and all this other stuff, which is just it's still hard to get though. CFA's super hard. Not easy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of time I could have spent doing other things in my life, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I did my CFA and my FRM, which were both. I mean, it, good experiences. Like my background's not in finance, and I, I wanted to learn more about it. So that was that was the way That's I cool. approached it. Um, God, you're morbid. That's crazy. Very, very self-deprecating. You know, uh, masochistic. All, all the all the good uh, traits of a uh, good data. <laughs> um, so uh, 
yeah i um yeah at some point like quant was just i was fighting uphill against these people with phds and i'm like all right like well like i can keep doing this and i genuinely enjoy it or like data has been kind of the common thread and an opportunity to go work at the startup uh which was essentially data engineering for financial services mm, interesting I joined that company as the first solutions engineer, kind of laid the groundwork, brought in some more people, uh, and then got yanked over into data engineering. And I've never had a data engineering title. I just, like, I had the fortunate backstory where I'd, like, I'd been the guy at the company managing the data feeds, and I was also the guy selling it, and then I was also the guy who was buying it and consuming it and using it. So it's like, I'd seen kind of all the sides of how that worked. Um so because of that, I, I understood how the data feeds worked and frankly, where they broke and where, you know, people didn't realize they were breaking. And right. so I ended up building out uh, the data engineering team, which at that company meant uh, we were doing much like I described at FactSet, which is, you know, I, I go and we get a new data feed from, I don't know, pick your favorite data vendor. And, um, you know, they gave me a spec that spec is in any number of different formats. It could be a PDF. It could be a Word doc. Uh, someone could have written it down for all I know. Um, and then all the files are completely different and so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, we had to just build out a lot of those. And our, our first client that we signed was Two Sigma, which is like a giant behemoth tech powerhouse. <laughs> and you're like, ha, what? <laughs> um, and they, they, yeah, they, they frankly, they saw the problem the same way we did, which was that, um, like uh, similar to ETL, right? Like everybody's out there building the same uh, Salesforce connector, right? Like financial services is the same same dance, right? Everyone's out there building the same way of ingesting fact set data, right? And now these data marketplaces are making it easier, so I can like just go to Snowflake and grab the data. And right. Deal. It also that also kind of assumes that you trust the data vendors to push all this data to the place, mm. and right, like. Do, how do you trust that? How do you audit that? How do you understand that they didn't go and change things and not tell you? And, you know, when you've got millions, billions, trillions on the line, like, I don't, I don't, I don't trust anybody. Uh, right. And I always make food analogies, right? Like, and this, this applies all over the place to our divides to other things. But like, I think the food analogy is like, you know, uh, in, in finance, especially we, we can't trust anybody else. So I grow it all my own vegetables and I, you know, raise my own cattle and I know how they're fed and so on and so forth. And if I want to cook a meal, like I know where everything came from and I know how it got there and I know who touched it and so on and so forth. Right. And there's, there's practicalities to that, right? Like I, I can't, I'm not standing there on the stock floor, like reading off ticker prices and phoning them home. Right. right. <laughs> there, there's more practical things there. Like I, I can't do everything. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that was the challenge. We ended up building out, zillions of pipelines and and more practical numbers like tens to hundreds of thousands right like just lots and, and yeah. when i say pipelines just for context uh a pipeline was like an individual like file pattern with certain schema and so on and so forth so like some of these data products that you'd buy um i don't know if i can name names offhand no you like don't some, need to yeah i'm just i'm thinking yeah <laughs> data products you could buy like i might spend tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on this data product. And it would have maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of individual components that I needed to keep track of, which is just, it's a lot. Um, so I'll relate this back to kind of why I, I kind of started down here and I can tell you where I went after that company. But um, uh, I, I, for a long time, when I thought about data, I thought about the industry I was in, uh, which is, finance and specifically asset management, right? Like, cause there's banking and banking has their own internal data, you know, who has accounts, who stores money there, but there's a separate bit of this, which is in asset management, the whole industry is entirely dependent on data that you buy or purchase from somewhere else, right? Even like a Bloomberg terminal, like that's not data I have inside. So it was really interesting to me, especially on social media, when I came into the data community and everyone's talking about, oh, I hate piping data from finance to marketing to sales. And I'm like, hmm. well, shit, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking more of like the, I needed to get this stuff from outside my organization in and manage it because I, I can't, our, our business ceases to exist if we don't have it. Um, 
it's kind of an interesting paradigm kind of shift from thinking about like internal data engineering and, and that dynamic versus the outside world and, and that dynamic. Uh, but financial services have been doing this forever. I mean, like, right. again, the industry runs on data from other people, um, which is a completely different shift from the, if you think about even like data contracts, right? Like I have, right. I have a very literal commercial contract with SLAs and all this delivery stuff and like, ha and the people that I'm paying don't even necessarily uphold those or. Right. You know, so it's, it, it's kind of a completely different shift. Um, hmm. That's really interesting. Was that experience jarring when you first uh, saw these uh, differences here? Uh, no, I mean, like, it, it, it's arguably, you know, arguably obvious around the, you know, oh, well, I have sales and marketing and you're trying to combine data that way. Like, um, it was just, I think the more interesting point there was just uh, how uh, different groups of people with the same role have such different focuses, right? Like it's one thing to jump from like industry to industry and we're still piping things from marketing to sales, whatnot. But like, it's another thing when you're jumping, I don't know, healthcare to, to, uh, real estate, right. As a, as an yeah. arbitrary, like the, such different considerations, such different, uh, motions in terms of, both data flow and what, what we care about and like how sensitive things are. Right. I also come from a world where like your pipeline can't go down as much as humanly possible. And I, you know, I, I was at other places where they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Make the change in prod, you know, and the usual joke <laughs> was, yeah, I test all my stuff in prod, you know? Yeah. Um, That's funny. Yeah. I, I just, it, they're very different. Uh, I mean, somewhat of an obvious statement, different industries, different perspectives, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But like, it's like a completely different modality to some degree between, I feel like, standard business and finance to some end. Mm. Uh, That's really interesting. And then I guess, you know, what are you, uh, what are you doing these days? Oh, yeah. So uh, after I left that company, uh, I jumped, I spent some time at Palantir, which we can talk about Palantir is a cool spot. Mm hmm um and then now we have a company that's focused on data matching right like there okay. was it was really interesting and like i'm not gonna i don't like selling <laughs> like i want to sell naturally versus like it's like here's my advertisement on the podcast um uh no i there's a really interesting thing here which is like entity resolution is a 50 60 year old problem yeah it's not even remotely new and there's plenty of statisticians and in, in, especially in public sector jobs that have been doing this probably longer than I've been alive. Uh, and um, I think the thing that we find interesting is that consistently people still struggle to join data, right? And it, and it's still, it, I don't know, it, it's kind of, it's just interesting to think about the fact of like how much has that really evolved short of like, mm -hmm. you know, before we used Levenstein and now we use some, you know, reinforcement learning model. And it's like, okay, well, still kind of doing the same thing. Right. Um, so yeah, that's we're So, and we're actually, you know, the way we look at it is look like the methodology is going to keep changing, right? The models are never perfect. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole apparatus around that exercise that is, that you need to think about, right? Like there's, it's almost like data pipelines as well, right? Like there, there's more than just move thing from A to B, right? There's and similarly matching. There's more to just more to matching than just, you know, link record A with record A in this other place. So it's more like, okay, like how, how do I manage that process? And what are the teams involved and what's their workflow? And, you know, and this is, this is where I'm going to go back to organizational dynamics that, that right. I always go back to. And, um, yeah, I mean, someone, someone very wise once said to me, uh, he's not that much older than me either, but, uh, he said people process tools and it's a very like MBA esque phrase, but I struggle to find places where that doesn't apply. Same. Yeah. And, you know, and I know I, I ping you about some of these topics as well, because mm -hmm. it's just like, uh, it, it, that phrase resonates so many times over and it's like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation around 
now about like you know how people are obsessed with tooling and only on tooling and we're spending a lot of time on tooling and it's like okay well i don't hear anybody talking about process not not that often hmm. a lot of people talk about people right and i i think that there's there's definitely some disconnect because you know you want to go up and down that that chain a little bit mm-hmm. um, going on a little bit of a rant but well that's what the podcast is for though right so <laughs> No, it's an interesting one. The um, I think I wrote about that in one of my uh, recent blog posts. It's definitely not a tooling problem at this point. I, I don't think, uh, you know, practice, people, I don't know, but I, I call it practices too. Maybe that's process, maybe it's not. But you know, I definitely made the argument that I think one of the biggest in- issues that we face as an industry is just uh, a lack of standardized training and, and knowledge and skills. Yeah. Um, you know, so what it means is even though you have some of the most fantastic tools in the universe at this point, you'd be failing to, I think, leverage the full capabilities. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, actually probably working against the, the, these great tools and working backwards in some ways. Right. So I can't say there's a it's not a tooling discussion at this point. You know? Yeah, but tool, tools are sexy. Tools are fun, shiny. You know, well, that's what people want to sell, too. They want to sell you tools. Oh, They're not going to sell you a. I can also say people, I guess, the recruiter, you know, a person like me could sell you practices if you buy my book, right? But that takes, that's a lot of work to to read that. Yeah. Consultants so. sell kind of processes sometimes if you, if you buy that, buy yeah. what they're selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but only just, if you buy what they're selling, though. If you don't, then, you know, you can't get it. So, yeah. And you'll, you'll just yeah. fail. You'll fail miserably. I'm joking. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I, it's it's very interesting and it's very uh i feel like seldomly people think about it in that context and then kind of like it's like okay well let's start at the bottom like let's look at the tools it's like okay well are the tools working for us no it's like okay let's let's go the next step up it's like is the process working it's like no the process isn't working like oh great it's like okay let's go one more step (laughs) up it's like do we have the people that we trust and believe that can do this and it's like oh yes we do it's like oh okay well then probably should go fix the process right like and and kind of start start there and start simple and yeah don't don't just try and automate everything out of the box (laughs) yeah it's interesting and i guess with uh like financial services though was an interesting one right because i feel like that's uh an area where data is has always been somewhat of a first class citizen in a former life i was actually choosing between being a client and being an actuary um, and then I chose wow. to be neither actually, uh, yeah, I Wise think, choice. <laughs> probably, I mean, but you know, this is in the early 2000s, I was taking, um, a lot of, uh, financial math classes and, yep. um, studying fun stuff like martingales, I think they were, and, uh, other fun things. So, I mean, it was getting pretty deep into it, but I don't know. I don't know why I didn't go. I probably should have gone, but I would have been in New York, I guess, and not here, but, um, it's neither here nor there, but finance is definitely one of those areas where I feel like it's, it's always been data intensive. I mean, so I'd say some of the biggest innovations in, uh, um, data technologies and practices have been in finance. Uh, they've always been doing this cause you had to, right. I mean, yeah. cause the feedback loop is very quick and the, uh, the consequences are, um, I would say pretty, uh, you know, upside. And, and obviously if you blow up, then not a good day for you either. So, yeah. you know, yeah, but it, it's, even though it's set up that way, um, the financial services industry has this MO of just doing things manually a lot of the times, right? Yeah. Like throwing people at pro- like, I always think I was never a sell side banker or analyst or anything, but like a, a, a lot of the stereotype around that is, you know, kids out of college, smart kids out of college mm-hmm. that you know, sit there and check numbers and do spreadsheets and stuff like that. And right. it's like, think about it. Like that's quite literally a highly skilled, highly paid worker that's doing data quality to, mm-hmm. to men and yeah. crunch numbers, right? Like it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like we, financial services con- has consistently thrown people and like rudimentary processes as the first option. Why do you think time. that is? I think it's trust predominantly. If I were to take a hmm. guess, um, like I can, I have more faith that I can hire a person that is intelligent that will do the right thing and find the edge cases and know how to address them versus like if I write a process and I, I don't spend sufficient time 
you know, coding all these things to handle all these cases, then I'm kind of I'm kind of screwed, right? Like I'm I'm not gonna have Chat GPT build me something and fucking hallucinate halfway through, and then right, and you know, then we're screwed. Um, so yeah, I think I think it all comes down to you know consequences to what you were saying before, right? Like if we screw this up, we lose millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and I, I've seen, I I have personally. I'm not going to say I, I'm not at fault for this, but I was I was part of a team where they were running money and uh, I there were some scripts that were doing some of the analysis. And one day I said, oh, here's the script that's been running. That's part of the analysis. Let me let me go dig into it and see actually what's going on. And I quite thankfully caught something in that script that was stale data. And it was just something someone hard coded some data somewhere and uh, or hard coded like access to a file, not like yeah, first. Um, and it was like a couple weeks out of date. But, you know, we did the math and we like realized like, oh, shit, well, we probably lost like, you know, a couple million dollars, you know, because yeah. it was like this and nobody realized it. Um, and thankfully, we caught it then and not like a month or two later. And it could have been bigger pain, but like. Uh, yeah, I mean, like Jeez. it was, yeah, but again, like going back to the premise, like it, you'd be shocked at how many, how many processes are, are so rudimentary in finance. You'd be shocked at, you know, how many things are just people, um, in place. Uh, yeah, like vast majority of the time people rather build than buy. Like it, it's like, uh, like I said, it's arguably the MO just in our field. Like uh, people want control. People want trust. They, they don't trust anything that's not from inside the house so to say um and it makes sense right it was interesting because in our um in the book that matt and i wrote uh um you know we definitely have the uh the argument they should uh buy and not build but we have the, the strong caveat that build when it's uh, part of your core competence yep right so if, if trust is part of the core of your company, then you should probably want to build around that. Right. I mean, it'd be a, but in, in finance, though, so I think you're absolutely right. And something I think that goes unrecognized, um, cause it's not like other industries, the, the amount of trust and the amount of like ways things can probably go wrong. I, I would imagine is, uh, pretty great. Again, with severe consequences, if you, if you mess up, you know, how are you going to get that, that money back? Yeah. No, well, you're not, uh, well, right. unless you develop a, you know, better strategy and then maybe you'll make more, but that's, that's, that's arguably doubling down when you're, mm -hmm. you, know, you have nothing. Um, yeah, it's, you, you can't. And that's why the other thing is that, you know, I, I have a great appreciation for like the observability space, et cetera, mm. because like the whole tenant of, you know, lineage and traceability and all, all that kind of stuff is like, I find it interesting that it's taken that long to become this popular because mm. it's like, why, why, why didn't you think that was important before? <laughs> um, Cause again, for us in financial services, it was just like, you, you had to have it. You had to see where everything is, where it went, who touched what, when, you know, like that was just, you needed that. Um, and there are plenty of places that don't have it and, you know, uh, you know, Godspeed to them. Uh, I hope nothing ever happens. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you need that. And, and you know, we're talking about all these ways in which, you know, financial services is somewhat antiquated. And, and at the same time, you know, you, you made the point before, and I very much agree with that. They're also on the bleeding edge, right? They, they have to try new things to make more money and so on and so forth. So it's like, how do you, you know, how do you operate in this world? Healthcare is kind of similar, right? Like, like I want to innovate as much as possible, but I don't want anybody to die, right? right. Like, how do you do that? And yeah, when I was at Palantir, I was actually on the uh, the government and kind of healthcare side of, of the company, which is very interesting. Um, mm. But it's like a, how do we innovate? How do we move fast? But also like, you know, these are these are quite literally people's lives, you know, at stake. So, you know, how do, how do you check and balance that whole process? Right. <laughs> interesting observation about the observability space. I was talking with uh, Igor over at Big Eye uh, recently and we had a good discussion and he's his thinking i think is uh, it's uh in terms of data stacks i think it's very interesting right so he he's talking about i guess what we call the traditional data stack which is a non modern data stack technology so the stuff that people were using probably before the modern data stack was a thing 
right? But the um, but it seemed like observability really started uh, sort of as a reaction to getting bad data into these uh, you know, like your snowflakes and whatever else, and then trying to trace back what happened. But uh, he he had a good point too, where it's you know you got to you got to extend further than the footprint of the modern data stack to really do observability correctly. And I a thousand percent agree with him. But I, I think and we also talked about the notion of just bubbles. Like, you know, if you're, if you're in the, if you're in the modern data stack, uh, filter bubble, that's sort of the lens you view the world through. Um, but, and so it's interesting cause seeing observability becoming a thing. Yeah. I mean, absolutely right. I mean, there, there have been tools that have been doing, you know, lineage and this kind of stuff for ages. We had to buy the whole yep. monolith to do it, yep. but to become a, an official practice, uh, I mean, I, I guess people had always been kind of doing observability or data quality checks, like maybe checking Somewhere. for nulls or value counts or something like that in a table, but just really crude operations. But, you know, for it to become a practice, I suppose, again, if you just kind of look where software engineering has been, you can sort of get an idea of where data is going is, is my old mantra. But yeah, it is, it is, it is fascinating. It took, it took this long to figure it out, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's more that it took this long to become as popular as it is. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I, I, I think everybody had like arguably, well, I guess maybe more people in our space had like a collective giggle when uh, Google came out with their paper saying, guys, quality, not quantity. And we're like, no shit. <laughs> like, you don't say <laughs> like, I think we all knew that for a long time, but thank you for letting us all know that this is important now. <laughs> but like observability is, is interesting. I mean, like that's, it's a software engineering paradigm. Like I, I'm no classically trained software engineer, but like, uh, you know, when, when it started getting popular, I was really interested in like, I, I, I have a lot of respect for bar, but like, I don't think that they came up with that term. And, uh, and I know that she borrowed it as well. And she, she makes reference mm -hmm. to this, like it's from software engineering. And, um, and I was like, Oh, cool. And I was, you know, I started trying to understand like, okay, what, what is this word? And yeah. oh, it describes this thing that I've always kind of just thought about as lineage and audit and that kind of stuff. So well, yeah, then they had uh, data reliability engineering, right? And that, it's just Smart site reliability yeah. engineering. Yeah, so it's all the same kind of stuff. But, you know, I mean, kudos to, to everyone who's, I think, pushing it forward because it's a necessity, totally. right? I mean, um, but it's, uh, I, I still feel like it's super early days. You know, again, going, you know, going back to, you know, Igor, I think he, you know, he bought a, um, actually kind of a, I wouldn't say a legacy, but a very mature, very old uh, data lineage company. And yeah. Um, but I think the, you know, th there's a good reason for that, uh, just cause oh, totally. looking at all the old systems, right. All this old systems everyone still uses and will continue to use until kingdom come most likely. Well, I, I definitely, you know, and, and there's, there are companies including big guy now that do are doing this, but like, especially when the observability trend first came out, I was kind of looking at it and I'm like, why are we talking about this only in the context of a data warehouse? Like, yeah. No sense. I felt the same way. Yeah. Like, I don't under, like this is, this is literally a term describing observability, like across your, your, your system. Like why are we only focused on it in one place? And, you know, that's why, you know, especially as I, you know, got to know Kyle and Igor, like and talking to them, like we mm -hmm. talk about the same things. And then there's a lot of other companies that are trying to attack this problem. But yeah, I mean, it's super hard. I mean, to your point, like, if I'm not on a modern data stack and don't follow certain paradigms, then like, how do I build a tool that frankly observes through everything everywhere all at the same time, right? Like, mm -hmm. wonderful movie, but uh, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> it, it's crazy. And, you know, I think that movie is uh, probably a, a appropriate uh, representation, just given how chaotic <laughs> it could be jumping from tool to tool. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating to see where it all goes. Like I said, I, I mean, I, I think I feel like the discussion of the modern data stack really needs to sort of be put to. Uh, I think we just need to move beyond it at this point. We're talking about it for ages right now, and I feel like it, it's great. It's here. We don't need to keep you know, um, you know, praising it or, or, or hating on it. It just sort of is what it is. It's it's like argu arguing about water at this point. I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's here. I'm drinking, drinking this one. Oh, Liquid Death. Oh, that's a fascinating company. They, I think, they, I um, weren't they IPOing or didn't they IPO? Uh, I think that they were talking about it. I love this. I mean, the marketing around it and the whole premise behind it. What do you it like about Liquid Death? So for the audience, this is audio, but he's holding up a uh, can of Liquid Death uh, water. So uh, I, I got to be honest, like, 
I, I definitely bought in because of the marketing. Um, I, I generally like sparkling water. I'm more of a Pellegrino person, but like mm. when I, I, I saw the can one day, I thought it was, I definitely thought it was a beer and I looked at it and <laughs> I was like, Oh, it's water. And you know, I like sparkling water. I'd never seen it before. I said, I, I'm the type of person that like, if I see something new, I'm probably going to try it just because I have no idea what it is. Um, so yeah, I, I bought it one day and I said, oh, it's not bad. And then when I saw, started seeing their marketing and kind of understanding the paradigm, I, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is I like, I want to support them. I, I like what they do. Yeah. I, like um, I noticed that all the comedians are uh, using them on stage. Are they? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I get a number of comedians. I mean, so in my spare time, I, I actually don't, I, 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 watch, I, I read and watch a lot of, uh, and listen to a lot of data stuff, but I also, uh, have a soft spot for stand-up comedy. So, um, uh, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. The, on, the onstage, uh, stuff on social media, like, yeah, liquid death's everywhere right now. So I don't know if they yeah. sponsor, uh, comedians or whatever, but, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, in some of their marketing, I really like where in, in this, it just brings social media. We started talking about social media earlier, like makes it so real that there's people on Twitter that are like, I hate liquid death. I'd rather do X than liquid death. And then liquid death sees these tweets and like, Hmm, challenge accepted. Please come to our facility and do whatever you just said. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of them was, I think like licking a sweaty dude, like a large sweaty guy. That's funny as hell. And they literally brought, they made this guy like run on a treadmill or something. And then, they blindfolded these people and they said, okay, drink this or you can do this. And there was one or two people that were like, there's no way I'm licking that dude. Um, but it's, it's great. But the things resonate like, like, you oh, know, I'll, I'll talk about big guy, big guy made that video about, you know, data quality and with their dumpster that was on fire. And I was, I, I was dying watching that. And I'm like, it's, you know, we've said it time and again, like, I don't think anybody's gotten this right. Like we're all just kind of fighting the same fires. So it's like a dumpster fire just resonates with everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But meanwhile, kind of bring it back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like the, uh, the divide, right? It's, you know, the data governance people will be looking at through their lens and the uh, engineers will be looking at through their lens. And it's, so it's hard to come together to, to fight that fire, right? Cause you, you all have different totally. ways of putting out fires or, or, yep. uh, or I, not, not just putting out fires, I would say, but like adding to the fire, like more like pouring gasoline <laughs> on it in some ways too. So yeah. Some people just bring in another dumpster and they're like, Oh yeah, just put some of the fire over here. And right. That's, that's, that's another vendor. Right. Um, <laughs> so no, it's, it's, it's true though. And it's, it's, it's definitely a, a good uh, mental image. And like, I think that's kind of where we are. We have a, uh, dumpster fires everywhere. I mean, I'll put that in the uh, show notes here for the title. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I like. I can't wait till we have like, and I, I don't know if one of these big, you know, the, the of course the dueling conferences that exist out there between Snowflake and Databricks, but like, I, I'm I'm really interested to see a, a conference. Like, I, I I implore Ethan Aaron to do this as a low key thing, but like, that's that bridges the gap. I mean, between mm. the you know governance policy cdo style top-down people and the the engineers like let's do a conference together where i mean maybe maybe joe maybe this is your opportunity like let's talk yeah. about data modeling in the middle right like isn't that the, the great overlap to some degree like modeling policy contracts quality right like i mean i would love to see a conference like that where you sort of bridge the uh bridge all the gaps right um yeah, I mean, speaking at a uh, what Steve Hoberman's data modeling conference next early next year, right? But that's a data modeling it's data modeling zone. That's what it is. But yeah, all these tribes, you know, if you could get everyone to come together, I think that'd be fantastic, right? And you know, and as much as possible, leave the vendors out. Um, so it just it keeps a lot uh, a lot cleaner in that regard. It, but you got to figure out how you're going to pay for it. I guess conferences are like notoriously expensive. But um, and what you know, Ethan did a really good thing with the. Uh, his happy hour in Vegas at the, uh, him and a few other companies that, that, uh, you know, helped with. And yep. I think they, that was, that was like 700 people almost. Yeah. He said it was a big number. He's supposed, I, I saw a whisper of something that's going to happen in New York city, which I'm mm. very, very excited about. And That'd be sick. That yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope, I hope something like that happens. I mean, I, I was thinking about the idea of, of doing a, uh, Kind of a vendor agnostic data engineering conference, sort of like what they do with Data Eng Bytes down in Australia, yeah. you know, or maybe that bringing that here. But um, you know, I think a, a big event in New York would also be dope. Uh, yeah, because I mean, next year, what is it? Databricks and Snowflake they're in San Francisco, you know, sure. kind of back to back. But I think San Francisco. No offense to San Francisco, great city. Um, 
sometimes. But I just think it's compared to Vegas, it's just not as good of a conference spot. Vegas is like meant for conferences. It's, it's built for it. It's built yeah. for it. San Francisco, you got traffic coming from SFO. Uh, San Francisco, the city itself, I, it, it's certainly seen better days. Um, you know, it's, uh, but that's where they chose. So that's where it's happening. Yeah. So. I mean, if I could buy stock in uh, San Francisco hotels, I, I mean, like that, it's probably already priced in, but like that, th- those guys, I, I hope they're making money hand over fist. I mean, like, I assume they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Marriott and Hilton just go, go buy in all those. Just just they own everyone at this point, you know, was- or uh, the Moscone Center, right? If, if that's uh, somehow tradable, but. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know these conferences are insanely expensive. I heard a number from, from one person, uh, you know, one of the big companies about, a uh, price of the conference. And I, I, I was like, I was Florida. It's like, are you sure there's that? Are you missing yeah, a, you know, is that, was that extra zero that was supposed to be there? It's like, Oh no, it's the number. It's like, Holy crap. I'm not going to give the number. It was uh, but it was a lot. It was a lot, it's a lot, a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot. And especially for like little companies like us, it's like, do we, you know, put a, put a, sizable budget together to send one or two people to go schmooze pretty much like and like let alone have a booth like i I would love to do that but um you know between hotels and and being at the conference and everything else like it just everything just gets jacked up it's like it's wild yeah i mean one of the things that i do i don't really get conference passes unless i'm given conference passes because i don't think that's a good use of my time but what I will do is, you know, set up a lot of meetings with people and we'll just meet on the periphery and, and hang out and meet like Vegas for me is like not that far. It's 45 minute, 50 minute flight from Salt Lake oh, City. Wow. So it's like, yeah, and San Francisco is what, like an hour, 20 minutes. So not that big of a deal. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, at this point, I know enough people where it's, it's easy to get meetings. But if you don't know a lot of people, you know, this, I guess it's, you know, you're gonna have to figure out what the, you know, the ROI is on that because these, these booths are not cheap, you no. know, and uh tens of thousands of dollars and is that better spent you know focusing on your product and content and social media and everything like that i would probably argue to some extent yeah um i mean because a lot of the booths in these conference spaces are just uh you get a lot of tire kickers right but you're trying to find qualified leads too and that's um i think your efforts could be better spent but you know what do i know i don't do conferences i'm not the you know the person at the booth so yeah Yeah, i mean there's (laughs) there's like i'd be curious to see numbers around like uh, call it ROI for for some of these big conferences, right? Like like how how many actual qualified leads are any of these people getting per dollar spent on their booth and hotels and so? It's a good question. It's a good question. I'm sure I'm sure Snowflake and Databricks don't want to answer that. I'd I'd love if they did. Uh, yeah, but, no, I don't think they're going to be answering that. But it, yeah. it's it's a question that I think every 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 company is going to have to answer for themselves. You know, especially with kind of the funding environment where it is, it's not going to be easy to, I mean, every, every penny's precious at this point, you know, as yeah. I sit here looking at a, uh, let's say a old Indian wheat head uh, penny here on my oh, desk for cool. some reason. I found it, found it in my garage. I was like, why is that here? Um, What's the date on it? Uh, it is 1956. Huh? It's still, it's still pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, then we're coming up in time. My, uh, my dog's actually uh, bugging me to go take her for a walk. So I got to uh, get going. But yeah, man, it's always good to talk to you. Um, yeah, really, really fun chat. So uh, for people who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? Uh, well, we started this conversation on LinkedIn. LinkedIn <laughs> is the place they can find me and learn more about me. I'm actually pretty, as long as you don't send me inbound cold sales pitch, uh, I, I'm pretty conversant. Like, and <laughs> Yeah. Do it on the third message to him, not the first. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Th- third or fourth. Yeah. Cause that way at least we can say hi before I disconnect from you. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I, I think the worst one I ever had is someone sent me an inbound one. And then when I actually bought into it and I said, sure, I'll learn more about it. They sent me a video and I was like, no, okay, this is way too far. I was like, wow. at least wanted to have a conversation and you punted me to a video to watch about your thing. I'm like, that's a hard no for me. Um, so yeah, linked LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn's good. Yeah, yeah. And then our company's called Automated Data. Nice. Um, yeah, wonderful name for for a very specific thing that we're doing. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's cool. I, I I like startups and I like the data community. I'm very yeah. thankful for, frankly, like what you guys are all doing because, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I li- I like talking shop. Like and and you know being able to like kind of converse with other people about the problems that we're all facing uh 
yeah, it, it's it's helpful. Um, it's like one big therapy group. Yeah, yeah. Except we need to stop, you know, wallowing and and do more of the okay. Now I'm done. Now what? Now what's next? How do we how do we solve these things? I agree. Yeah, it's I think uh, I don't know, keep rehashing a lot of the same stuff, and uh, I keep rehashing that we keep rehashing a bunch of the same stuff. So <laughs> there's that. But uh, yeah. Should be fun, man. Well, cool. I hope you have a great time, you know, in the city. I know you get there every week. So uh um hopefully you can make it to Ethan Singh. But yeah, hopefully catch up with you whenever I'm in uh, New York as well. So it'd be great to, yeah. great to hang out. Yeah. So awesome, man. Well, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.